Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing? Uh, I'm going to share with you that I'm in a little bit of a menopausal slump. (laughs) Y'all, it's no joke. Um, And the only reason I tell you this is that I had dinner with a dear friend of mine last night um, who was just diagnosed with type two diabetes and she's learning so much. And she's actually, um, going back to school, um, to, uh, I think become a naturopath or I can't remember exactly what she's, what she's doing. Um, but, um, because the learning in her journey through this has been, um, so enormous and she wants to be able to share it with everybody. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about last night is that, first of all, she said that um, apparently type two diabetes diagnoses have skyrocketed um, since the pandemic. And um, I think there are, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of the other things that we were talking about is that also apparently uh, type two diabetes is very, strongly connected to uh, menopause. And uh, just talking about how little we know, even as women, right? How little we know, how little information is out there about menopause and what is really happening in our bodies. And we know that we're having hot flashes and, you know, whatever. But, you know, the, the myth, I think, certainly that I thought and she thought too was that like once you get through perimenopause because we know that perimenopause sucks um, but once you get through perimenopause and you're in full-blown menopause which is officially diagnosed by not having had a period for a year (laughs) so you're in it for a year before you really know you're in it you know the myth is that once you're in full-blown menopause all of these symptoms stop right now now everything's fine bullshit (laughs) in my experience, uh, you know, things get different and just as bad. So anyway, I'm in this, like, I've been really not feeling myself for a few months and just like, what is going on? And I keep thinking it's this or it's that, or it's things that I'm doing, right? Because this is also the big lie that is sort of handed to women, right? That it's about what we are doing, right? What are you doing? What are you eating? How are you, right? No, my hormones are all over the fucking place and no one is teaching me how best to address what is going on in my body. So for months, I have been berating myself, beating myself up. What have I been doing? I'm eating wrong. I'm not exercising properly. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, whatever thing. And it was literally two days ago that I was like, Oh no, everything that's going on is because of menopause. <laughs> that's what's happening. 
yes, there may be ways I should be eating. There may be things I should be doing for myself, but actually I'm going through, continuing to go through the biggest hormonal change, um, since adolescence. Anyway, you know, um, just another way, you know, women's health is just not talked about to the degree that we don't even understand what's going on for us with ourselves and in our own bodies. And it's really, it's terrible, (laughs) terrible. Um, I may have Stacey come on the podcast to have a conversation about this more because um, we had dinner last night and we were together. We were at dinner for like three hours. (laughs) So I think we could probably cover some of this um, in a future episode. That's where I'm at today. Um, The other place I'm at today is that I'm really, really, really proud of um, how amazingly Grit and Grace is going. The women in that program are, they're loving it. I am loving it. And we are having, like, it's just the learning curve is just so great for them. It's just everything is coming together really beautifully. And um, I think I said last week we have a couple spots left. I think I have a bunch of consults coming up on the books, but um, if you are interested in joining this incredibly gorgeous group of women and going through whatever, wherever you're at in the process, if you feel like you need support, then uh, join us because women are in all, at all stages um, in grit and grace, and they are all getting such incredible wisdom and support from, um, from the group and from the program. So, Go to my website, kateanthony.com slash coaching, and you will find all the information you need about Grit and Grace there. Finally, to today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about something that a lot of you deal with, and that is how do you divorce when you've got kids who have special needs? So today, I have with me Marianne Hughes. She is the proud mother of two sons on opposite ends of the autism spectrum. And after her divorce journey, where she successfully advocated for her children's needs, Marianne started Special Family Transitions to help families navigate the overwhelm and complexities of special needs divorce to get the best possible outcome with as little time, money, and stress as possible. Combining her experience and certifications as a certified divorce coach, certified divorce specialist, member of the National Association of Divorce Professionals, an MBA, and years of special needs advocacy, Mary Ann is committed to supporting families with children with disabilities as a valued special needs divorce coach and consultant. And her wisdom and experience is, I think, uh, so important. So, so, so important. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Marianne Hughes. Marianne, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about this really, really important topic that so many of my listeners uh, deal with. So I'm really happy to have you here. So happy to be here, Kate. So thanks so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to share this information from my experience and my experience as a coach as well as a mom. I think the first thing I want to ask, because so many women I know struggle with this, right? That making the decision to stay or go when you have neurodivergent children, and especially children who, um, you know, have more needs perhaps than others, 
how do you how do you even wrap your brain around making that decision when you have that as well? Well, that certainly adds a whole nother layer of complexity. So divorce is hard enough and to make the decision is a difficult one for so many people. I know it was for me and part of it was just the divorce itself, but the bigger you know, picture and, and things I had to work through were how were my kids gonna be taken care of if I got divorced and what would happen to me and my kids in the future. So yeah, that's definitely a big consideration that makes that decision even harder for sure. Yeah. Um, and so like, what are the considerations that you might have to take into account that other people may not have to, or you might have to lean into a little bit more? For instance, I had worked before having kids, but then when I had my kids, I've got two boys on opposite ends of the autism spectrum. And so it became apparent when my child was very young, my firstborn, that he needed a lot of care. And so I ended up um, staying home to take care of him full time. And then with my other one, um, yeah, it just kind of doubled the work. So so I was fortunate that my husband at the time was able to work, provide an income, and I was stay-at-home mom, taking care of my kids, doing what I had to do, taking the therapy, advocating for them in schools and everything else that a special needs parent does. And so, um, yeah, that was our life. And it was a team effort to take care of kids. And so when you're faced with divorce, you're wondering, well, first of all, financially, how am I going to do this? Can I go back in the workforce because having been out of it for 20 years, you know, what kind of job am I going to be able to get? And then if I do get a job, who's going to take care of the kids? They still need me. And if I have to work, then I have to hire help. And that's a whole nother expense and thing you've got to work through. And then, you know, how are they going to react? How are they going to adjust to the transition? For instance, uh, with autism, as well as some other um, kind of issues, transitioning is hard and they're used to a certain routine and that's their expectation. That's the way in their eyes life should be. And so, you know, having a divorce would definitely um, create a lot of changes in their life. And so I wasn't, you know, I didn't know how that would play out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially with special needs kids that that really require a lot of structure and consistency, right? That's, I mean, I know, you know, with my son has very severe ADHD and going back and forth between two houses when you've got a kid who like really needs structure and consistency, I think it was really difficult for him uh, growing up. And he's actually now chosen to to live at my house full time because he's like, he was 17. He was like, I'm done. I'm done going back and forth, <laughs> you know, but kids who are perhaps, you know, ha- have, um, you know, more special needs and are further out on the autism spectrum, like, like one of your sons, they can't necessarily advocate for themselves in that way. They cannot. I like the term that you use about advocating. That's yeah. one thing I try to do, I guess I've learned to do for myself and I've been trying to teach my kids, at least the one who's more capable of doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's something that was a concern. It's like, well, how are they going to let me know if things aren't right or the way that they'd like them to be or prefer them to be? And so that become a conversation over the years that we've had. And I've tried to get him to uh, discuss with some, some support uh, people as well. But I do want to share a funny story with you this morning that my son, the higher functioning one to me, says today, it's kind of out of the blue. He says to me, mom, after the divorce, you became stronger. And you're much more into motivation. 
And that really touched me because I think, oh, yeah. you know, we can have, you know, we push in our decisions and we don't know what life is going to have in store for us. But I guess for your listeners and for everybody, you know, know that the path you take and the path that life leads you is what's going to set your life apart and be a good role model for your kids. And so I guess by staying in an unhappy marriage or whatever the case might be, they learn from that. They see that, well, if mom is okay with this kind of behavior or the way things are, then maybe I shouldn't ask for much in my life. And so I think he's really proud of me. It's really nice the comments he makes and notices. And he's very perceptive, especially considering the issues he deals with. But he's he's seen how I've grown. And so I think that's encouraged him to grow as well and to advocate and to know that we've got to stand up for ourselves to get what's right for us. Mm, mm. And how do you see it impacting your other son who is less high functioning? Um, is he, is, he's, am I right that he's not verbal? Uh, he's very limited. Yeah. So a lot mm-hmm. of repetitive behaviors and, and speech and so on. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was really hard for him, especially at first um, when the split and separation happened where, like you said, he, thrived on consistency and routine. And all of a sudden, one day, dad's not there anymore. That was, even though he had traveled, but never away from the house for an extended period of time. And so we saw some aggression, we saw some regression in behaviors and issues at school as well. And so it's important if you're going to go through this with kids with any kind of disability or special needs, that you do it in such a way to prepare them if you can, if you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, work with the other parent to kind of be on the same page as to how you're going to break the news to them, get them prepared. One thing that I ended up doing after the fact, because I didn't have a heads up that it was happening in my case, mm. was, uh, I, I was I was trying to find help for mental health professionals, and I couldn't find anybody that was willing or able to work with my son with more issues because he's not going to be able to participate, participate in a typical counseling session and have a conversation and things like that. Even the play therapist wasn't comfortable working with him. So I took it upon myself after looking many, many places for resources is it came down to me. So what I did is I created a social story and people who have kids with autism or other disabilities might know what that is, but you're basically um, preparing like little stories and guides as to what's going to happen next, what to expect and what the future might look like. So I tried to do it in a very positive fashion. I tried to get dad to send me pictures of where they would be staying because it was right before they were going to spend for the first time a weekend at with dad. And that yeah. was something different too. And so I had to get them kind of mentally prepared as to what that was going to be like, know that this is, you know, for a weekend, they're coming back. I involved the school in it as well. And they shared it um, with my son. And that helped a lot. So he was looking at it. It's kind of like a storybook. And so um, I definitely recommend doing something like that for your kids um, who you know, don't have the intellectual or verbal abilities to be able to talk through some of the issues. But even my other son, I think he benefited from it as well because we used to create these social stories before we'd go on vacation. And so they kind of knew what to expect, what it might look like, what things would be like. So I definitely um, recommend something like that. So the social stories that you put together like an actual book for them, right? It's like a, it's, it's almost like a, like a, 
you know, like a memory book of a vacation or something, but beforehand. Right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. I love that. I love that. Um, and so your kids, do they go back and forth or they, do they sort of coexist in two homes at this point? So most of the time, I'd say close to 90 is with me. Mm-hmm. Dad, um, does take them on search on weekends when he's available um, for whatever reason. Sometimes the schedule and travel schedule and other commitments and personal activities don't allow that. But but he um, will will um, have them at his house. Um, and so, yeah, that's something that I guess is a struggle as well sometimes because I can't plan too far ahead. Sometimes right. week by week or day by day that we might know what the schedule is. So that's a little hard on the boys as well because they'll ask, well, are we at daddy's house this weekend? And am I coming home? Am I taking the bus? Are you picking me up? So, you know, that in itself is difficult. So I would say if you're in that situation, try to have as consistent a schedule as you can and keep all the parties, um, you know, on board and involved so that uh, everybody can, can plan for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, but I think that that's a really good point is that for a lot of people, they don't have that luxury of a of an equal co-parent. Um and I and I think I see this a lot with special needs families where it's it's a lot. And unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot of dads seem to opt out, like think that they can opt out, right? <laughs> Which is just insane to me that anyone feels that they can opt out of parenting at all. But I think we see this a lot and I think, you know, we should address it. And how do you address that with kids with special needs when a a parent is not as, is not consistent, is not as engaged, is, doesn't prioritize the children in the way that, you know, you do, or um, a lot of moms do by, you know, necessity and or desire. I mean, I guess I learned through my divorce process that people are going to be who they are and you're not going to change that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess dad's doing the best he can in his eyes and I support him and try to update him. And I send weekly communications, um, which he's not real crazy about sometimes, but I, you know, I took him on myself to uh, create these weekly emails to update him and ask him about the scheduling and so on. And so yeah, I think keeping the other co-parent, parallel parent, whatever it might be in your case, um, on board and update as to what's happening with the school, with major issues. Um, you know, you may not get it um, in return. They may or may not update you. Luckily, I've got one son who can kind of update me mm. um, you know, about right. what's going on. But for somebody whose child is nonverbal and they're on their own, that's a scary thing. You know, how do you then communicate? How do you, you know, know that that um, child. So you have to trust, I guess, at the point that the other the other partner is going to do the best they can and keep them safe and whatever needs to be done. And so I guess I've, uh, you know, the beginning, it was, you know, really hard the first weekend they were gone. But after that, I guess I kind of had to, um, you know, call it a win if they came back alive and fed. <laughs> you know, oh, God. I mean, how that's scary, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, not I, don't, I don't even say he's a bad dad. Not, not at all. I, I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing the best he can, and you know, we're all dealing with the changes in our lives. Um, but I think if people have a good um, communication and work for the best um, 
goals and needs of that child to work together, I think everyone is in a much better position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the case with any divorce, right? Um, and unfortunately, it's uh, it can be pretty rare. I don't know if it's rare, but it's I you know I certainly hear more of the opposite. And now a word from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick moment to tell you about the Mend Project. Anyone who's encountered abuse in a relationship understands how confusing it can be. It often feels like a maze of mind games that are used against you, especially if the signs and experiences are not clearly evident, like with physical bruises or loud, explicit psychological abuse. Sometimes it can even be hard to articulate what you're going through when you try to reach out to a friend or a therapist for help, and it can make you feel even more crazy. As a survivor, I remember feeling this way. And when I first came across the MEND Project's Terms and Definitions tool, which names and explains covert abusive tactics, it was so validating and illuminating. I keep these terms and definitions on my desk, and I share them with others, with clients, um, with friends. And I am so excited because MEND wants to share this resource with the Divorce Survival Guide listeners for free. So to get this tool that I think is so essential, go to kateanthony.com slash mend. That's kateanthony.com slash M-E-N-D. I absolutely love the MEND project and what they're doing. And I really hope that those of you who download this resource are empowered and experience the same clarity that I did. So again, go to kateanthony.com slash mend for the free download. When you were faced with your divorce, which, as you said, was a, sort of a surprise to you and you didn't see it coming, um, you ended up having to advocate for yourself and your children because you had been a stay-at-home mom um, by um, choice, but also by necessity. And because of how many needs or how much <laughs> um your certainly one of your sons requires um how much care he requires you had to set yourself up to be able to and you and you had to advocate for yourself in the legal process can you talk a little bit about how how you did that sure yeah and so when i first um found that i was in a divorce situation um, you know, from day one, I had to put my kids first. They needed to be taken care of no matter what, and even more so now that I was the only parent at home. And so my concerns and my fears and my goals for the future were about how they would be taken care of short term now during divorce, as well as the next few years, as well as beyond. And so you know, sometimes people view divorce as, okay, we'll split all the assets now and deal with the future things for the kids later. Well, that wasn't the approach I was going to take. I knew that um, in this process, I had to make it my mission to get the best result I could for myself and my children. With my children, if I if they got a good result, then it was a good result for me. And so, yeah, I had to spend a lot of time and I'm glad I wasn't a rush situation. So I had mm-hmm. a few months of separation and kind of let things sink in. And then the process itself took a while for many reasons. But the biggest one was that I 
was not going to be comfortable making any kind of decisions or agreements till I knew what my kids needed and how much that would cost. Hmm. So I would know what to agree to in terms of division, property, child support, and so on. Where I am in Texas, we have, um, you can have uh, indefinite or lifelong child support, and you can also have above guideline child support. And they also can look at different ways to help with a special Hmm. situation. And so I had to learn on my own, uh, inquire, I had to research, I had to try to find specialists, and they weren't very many, I can tell you that, to educate me and to learn about what what I could do for my family and how to get the best result. And so I spent all this time and effort trying to gather information, find people, the right team to help me. And I did get there, but it was over a two-year process, cost a lot, a lot of money. And, but, and I ended up having to go to trial to prove um, something that was important in, in, in our case. And so um, I did do well, and the judge uh, ended up giving a great result for my family. Um, but I decided that other people really shouldn't have to go through what I went through to advocate for their family. And that's why I created my company, Special Family Transitions, to help other parents facing divorce to know what to do in a special needs situation. Because yeah, the amount of time and effort I had to spend, I don't want anybody else to have to recreate the wheel. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I want to be a resource for people who uh, need help, especially yeah. in this area to advocate for their kids and figure out what to do in this process and what's important as part of special needs divorce, because the divorce, like we talked about, is hard enough, but then there's so many other things that you've got to think about and plan for to secure your child's future and make sure they don't then lose benefits in the future. Right. So what are the kinds of things that you had to research? Like you had to, I guess, understand how much care was going to cost, how much, you know, therapeutic interventions were going to cost and then for how long, or like, tell me about some of the things that like, was, is there like a checklist? Have you sort of come up with a checklist? Sure, my, my checklist every day. I mean, I keep adding to it, I guess, sure. you know, what's out there and needed and, you know, and every situation is different. So I work with each client individually when I can mm-hmm. to come up with that list. But, but for instance, like my one who has the greater needs, well, he was um, going to be aging out of public school pretty soon. We've done some private school too. Um, but after, you know, you age out where I am, it's um, the year you turn 22, then you're basically out on your own. Well, what do you do after that? There's um, a lot of private programs and those are very expensive. And so you may not even be eligible to be accepted into those depending on your ability. So it was a multifaceted type analysis to do. And then even for some publicly funded programs, well, we're not eligible yet for those. And even if we are in the future, those may or may not meet our needs anyway. So it was trying to figure out you know, what it would look like, what those programs would be like, where he might have a fit. So I had to visit a whole bunch of different programs. So I, I was able, I had to go into the mode of, transition for my kids much sooner than I had anticipated, right? Mm-hmm. So it was all thrown on me at one time, the divorce, planning for my kids' futures, and all these other aspects, financial things, legal things, setting up trusts, uh, which I'll talk about as well. Mm-hmm. And then my other son, being on the other side of the spectrum, even though he was um, at a f- few more years in school, he was going to be aging out. He turned 18 during the process. And so I wasn't going to accept that 
normally in Texas, child support ends at 18, unless you've got some other reasons that it, that it shouldn't. Well, I wasn't going to accept that it ended. I mean, he definitely, even though he's higher functioning in a lot of ways, he still needs support. He still needs guidance. He still needs someone to support him with all the things that are affecting him. And we don't know what the future will hold for him. We don't know, um, you know, education wise, I had to look at different schools and different opportunities for him. And so luckily, last minute, we were able to find a program that's a really great fit for him. Um, and so I could also create some videos on different programs for special needs and supports that are available, because that was kind of my journey as well. But um, yes, yeah, so I was able to get ongoing support for him, as well as part of the divorce, which is great. Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned setting up trusts for the, for the kids. What what does that look like? Well, there's two kinds, mm-hmm. and so I had to learn what this all meant as well. Uh, so there's a third party trust, and so the key for um, special needs children as become adults is that you don't want you can't have over two thousand dollars in their name, or else they won't qualify for a multitude of benefits from the government. And so child support and funds are gonna affect that. And so when we talk about a third party trust, you wanna set up uh, the third party trust to be the beneficiary of say a life insurance policy or inheritance or gifts, because you don't want that money, once again, going to the child, but if it's money that they're getting in some fashion, then if it goes to a trust, then it's protected. It won't Mm. count against them. The other kind of trust is a first party trust. And so that's important as well because child support becomes a child's money. And so that doesn't go into the third party trust. That needs to go into a, they call it a self-settled Medicaid payback first party special needs trust. There's all kinds of names and it gets confusing. Then you've got to have special people to work with on that as well, which we can talk about. But um, that's where the child support should go into if you're at risk then of exceeding that threshold and then not having those benefits um, come to you in the future. Okay. And so when you say the child support goes to the child, is that like after they're 18 kind of because right, right. before so that it goes yeah. to you to, to support the children, exactly. right? And so, exactly. yeah. okay. So if, you, if you're getting child support beyond quote adulthood, because of the special needs, then that support actually needs to go directly to the children, but it can't go directly to the children because it'll interfere with their eligibility for other services. Right, right. And there are cases where even if you're under 18, you might want to have it go to the first party trust because you may be already getting Medicaid or other benefits. And and even though it, it goes to the family, it's still, in Texas anyway, I can't speak for other states, but it's considered the child's money because it's child support to the child oh interesting okay i'm not a lawyer so i don't want to you know give any legal type of information and i may not be phrasing it 100 percent correctly but um from my understanding it's um i know people that their, their children are under 18 and the money still goes into a first party trust you know every it, it's so difficult that every state is so different you know and so there's so there's no inconsistent there's no consistency across uh, states. I mean, in Texas, Texas doesn't even have spousal support, right? So it's really hard to get exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, I went to a seminar this weekend where um, I was also presented at part of it because I was, uh, you know, learned from that process and want to give back to the community. But um, yeah, they were talking about all the different types of support. And so spousal support is really hard to get. That's basically if you have no other means and the other 
assets that you get through the divorce are not going to cover your basic expenses. They also have that. If you meet that threshold and you have a special needs child, then you may also get that. But if you don't meet the threshold at all, then that's not something you're going to get. So, but they will, the judge will look at different things or you can have creative solutions and mediation or whatever method you use to come to agreement where you can say, okay, well, we can set up a fund for the child. We can have monies here. We can have life insurance. We can have, um, you know, tuition paid for. We can do different things that will offset, I guess, your contribution from, say, the mom's perspective, right? If you're, if you're not getting, um, you know, as much child support as you may need or you're not getting whatever in the divorce, find other ways to cover the children's expenses. And that's goes back to the first exercise I was talking about, to figure out what those expenses are that you're dealing with now. And kind of think about the future. I know it's hard to, but, you know, at a minimum, make sure that what you are getting now is going to cover that. Mm-hmm. Right. Figure out how to cover the, the medical insurance and non other expenses outside of insurance as well. Right. And it's really important to be thinking about these things. Like, you know, if you're divorcing and you've got special needs kids who are four and five, you may not be thinking that long term and like what happens after they age out of um, the, you know, the resources that they are eligible for um, from the state, right? You're just like, you're not thinking that far in advance. And it's, and so, you know, working with a coach like you will help people really think that long term. Exactly. So I help them think long term for themselves as well as for their children. And mm-hmm. so what happens a lot of the time is they have to go back for modification. Because they didn't think about these things. And that's, and that's a whole so hard. Right. So on. So it's better to think these things through. There's things like guardianship, who's going to, you know, how that's going to look in the future, even though, like you said, if they're four or five years old, you're not thinking 18 and beyond. But yeah, have someone to kind of, you know, help you think about, like you said, a checklist of what things you need to consider. For mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. And so when... Uh, and so what, so look, I mean, all of this sounds like super expensive, <laughs> right? There isn't money. What if you're in a lower income family and you, you know, you, maybe you, maybe you have been able to be a stay at home parent because actually the, the cost benefit analysis of you going to work wasn't, and then trying to pay for care didn't work. Right. But you're, what if people are low income? Like, what do they do? And that's a great question. I mean, Divorce for special needs families is as high as 80%. The other day I heard 85%. So it's not uncommon. It's going to hit all socioeconomic levels and, and families. And so, yeah, I would say the best thing to do, whatever level you're at, is put the child first, put their needs first, come to agreement on what does the child need and how can we best support that given our level of, of resources. And mm-hmm. so if you do it that way, as opposed to fighting over everything and, you know, being bitter about different things going on, which, you know, of course, may be natural, depending on what's going on in your marriage and causing it to end. But, but you know, focus first on how we're going to take care of the kids and what can we both do to make sure that that's well done. Because as a parent who, you know, stayed home, for, no matter what your level of resources were, you know, you can't do it alone. So, you know, if you can try to co-parent effectively, great. You may also need some additional help at home. So get respite care, get um, opportunity for you to do some self-care. Mm-hmm. I've had to bring in you know, people to help out because it's, it's too much for me to do all by myself, um, just for your sanity and so on. And sometimes they have behavior issues that 
maybe get better. Maybe they don't. Sometimes they change over time. My, my son, he goes through different phases where every few months, something else is, is a challenge. And so, yeah, I found it's a lot less stressful for me to have somebody um, come maybe in the mornings to help out with the morning routine. We're like in a big rush getting ready. And mm-hmm. so Brandon, sometimes dad will, you know, come and pick up and take to school, but I'm the one getting him ready. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so find ways to offload or find help. And sometimes his brother helps, but that's not, you know, really his job. And sometimes he needs his own help. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say, um, you know, there's respite resources out there as well. So take every advantage, every advantage of every opportunity you can find to, you know, maybe drop off the kids or find somebody to help you or family or something so that you're not hundred percent taking care of the kids. Because I see so many, uh, posts and Facebook groups about these people being so overwhelmed with everything they have to do, whether they're mm-hmm. single or not, yep. especially these kids, it's exhausting. And so, yep. yeah, find, find the help you, you need for sure. Yeah. And there are a lot of state, county, whatever it is, resources for AIDS and, um, and stuff like that, that people can be eligible for, right? I don't know what the threshold is for that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to get. Sometimes you'll be on a waiting list, and sometimes that itself takes a lot of research as well. But yeah, for sure, I can help direct people to some organizations in their state that could um, help support them. Yeah, I mean, I know, and and I know I have you know friends who have um, kids who are. Um, I think I've told you before, you know, nonverbal adult children, you know, adults with autism who are nonverbal, who are in diapers, right, and and have bouts of violence and all of this stuff, and. You know, one of my friends is a single mom dealing with this herself, but she's able to have aides come in and out and she has them almost, she doesn't have them 24 hours a day, but she has them for good periods of time because she wouldn't sleep otherwise. Because, <laughs> um, because you know, very often kids on the spectrum don't sleep <laughs> very, you know. Yeah, that's been a challenge for us ongoing. Yeah, but even this morning, he was up at four o'clock. So yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And the good news is that once they turn 18, if you're not able to get those benefits before then, then they qualify on their own for benefits. And that's why it's so important to make sure that they're not exceeding that $2,000 threshold or else they're not going to be get approved for that. Oh, so my God. Um, it's just so much. So, I mean, it really is. I think that if you're, if, if, if there's lower income, I mean, fortunately, there are a lot of benefits. They're just hard to get. There's, there's so much red tape. Um, and, and then, you know, you deal with the issue that there's also often a revolving door because, of course, these people are not paid very well. They have such an incredibly hard job and they're not paid you know, they can make the same amount of money, like, you know, working at McDonald's sometimes, right? And so you've got to have people who are passionate about it. So what sometimes people have done is they find somebody through a service or something that's provided to them, and they may supplement out of pocket on their own to keep that person if that's someone they really like, because like you said, they can go out there and find another job and it it is hard work. So if you find somebody, um, and there's other ways to find people too, but if you find somebody you really like, then, you know, if you can, um, sometimes they stay there out of the goodness of their heart because they're having an attachment to you and your family, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, um, a little bit extra helps too. Yeah. And then, you know, when you, when you lose an aid, right, that's very difficult for the kids because they get attached. Right. And again, consistency is such an important part of, um, the life of, of 
people on the spectrum that when then they have this this change in 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 aids or help in the house can be really disruptive. Right, because they're already going through so much change, and so yeah, you want to try to limit like I said the revolving door of people mm-hmm. coming in and out. So definitely, yeah. What else do we need to know about divorce? And neurodivergence and kids on the spectrum. Like, what, what, what am I not asking that you feel people need to know? Yeah, I mean, I think as a mom, I think take care of yourself. Um, if we don't take care of ourselves, I know as special needs moms, we often put our needs last, especially you know during the marriage and sometimes after the marriage too. And so know that if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be there to make good decisions for your kids, make good decisions in divorce. So. That's where maybe a coach or a therapist might, you know, help or find some activities to kind of, um, you know, put you on the path to get the support you need to to help you, um, you know, understand, you know, the grieving process. Maybe deal with how to maybe budget, manage your time, or just could be a whole whole host of different things. And phys- being physically fit or if, you know, speak spiritual um, is important to you. Then finding ways to do that too. There's so many things to take care of that we need to do, and so. When I tried to kind of put everything together, um, to I, I just created for, my, for the first time uh, a little mini course, and so I was trying to figure out, you know, what what should I include in there? And it's got my learnings from the past several years kind of condensed into one hour. And so the highlights of that are that you want to recognize what you're facing, resolve to get the best result for your child, identify what the kids need, and figure out how you're going to get there. Take care of yourself. Um, get the support you and your kids need, whichever whatever that might look like, and then secure a team. I don't know if we talked about that so much. So we talked a little bit about the trust. So you're going to have to have a, depending on your resources once again, but mm-hmm. uh, whatever you can do, try to do, because this is your one shot really to get it right and do the best you can. Not that later you can't go back and change things, but the better you can um, get the better result now, the and better off you'll be. Yeah. Um, the short and long term, but so the team should include somebody, an attorney who's had experience dealing with special needs. There are many who maybe have a few cases here and there, but they don't really know all the intricacies and all the things they've got to do to make sure that decree is done correctly to protect that child in the future. So make sure that you interview several people and make sure that you get somebody who's um, understands that fully. And then um, we talked about the trust. So you want to get an estate planning attorney who has experience setting the first and third party trusts up. And if they're, um, if you're going to be looking at guardianship in terms of setting the that paperwork as well, and there's different alternatives to that. But just think about that as part of the process that you'll want to maybe set up. And if you haven't done that, then at least in your discussions figure out okay, who's going to pay for guardianship and who's going to pay for these things to be done, all these legal um, instruments that we're going to need to protect our child. And then another person on the team may be a financial person. It could be a, a special needs financial planner. It could be a CDFA. It could be different people who can help you uh, really drill down deep in terms of what that those funds need to look like and how to plan and forecast for what your child is going to need. I mean, sometimes you can kind of figure it out. Sometimes you might need more help, especially if it's in a contentious slap situation or, you know, high conflict one where you may end up having to go to court. Well, that's for sure. You need to get some experts on your side to help you advocate. And if need be testify, I mean, we don't want it to get to that point, but if it does, then, you know, be sure to have somebody who's able to do that in court or in a legal proceeding, as well as having, 
um, person on the team who is a medical type authority, a psychologist, mm. sort of might be to to talk about the needs of the child, um, other than the mom, because you know moms, you know we do a lot and we know a lot, but sometimes coming from a third party expert and establishing a disability, I think carries a lot of weight as well. Even in, even just regular discussions, you know, mediation, just to say, okay, these are really this is really what we're dealing with. Because a lot of times, right, um, both parents may not be on the same page as to what the child's needs are and how to address that. So God forbid they should trust the mother to know, but (laughs) right. Our word is not, isn't good enough. So yeah, I guess, you know, the, I guess, you know, one way I guess to look at it is the more needs you have, the more some people will feel they may have to pay out. So it just depends how, how you look at it. We all want our kids to have the best. And I guess you got to find a balance as to how that's going to happen. And then, also talk about how you express yourself, how you carry yourself in divorce. You know, you want to come across as professional as you can. Um, I mean, definitely it's very emotionally charged, but um, the way, you know, by keeping a calm, cool, collected type um, attitude and manner of, of relating with your team as well as with your soon-to-be ex or even after the divorce, I think that carries a lot of weight by keeping the emotion out of it and just focusing on business, kind of the Biff approach, you know, that Bill Eddie. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about Biff a whole lot on this podcast. Um, And for those who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Bill Eddie's brief, informative, friendly, and firm approach to high conflict communication and Bill was on the podcast, so you can search for uh, for the uh, conversation I had with him on the podcast all about that. And I think that something that you said earlier and that you're pointing to here, again, is incredibly important. And I say it all the time. And I'm going to just highlight it because you said it too, Marianne, which is take time to process your emotions before diving into negotiations, fighting, anything like that. And especially, listen, when you have kids with special needs, you are heightened emotionally because it's really it's really scary to be looking at a future where you might be on your own with your kids where you don't have that that you know two parent support system and it's going to be terrifying but taking the time to process through your fear through your grief if this is a sudden thing that you know you got hit with that you didn't know was coming um all of that while you there's a part of you that may feel like jumping into court and hiring attorneys and and like getting retribution and everything. Like it's that's the worst, probably ultimately the worst thing you can do. The fuel, as you said, the fuel for your fire that's going to keep you going should be your children, not your vengeance. Exactly, exactly, for sure. And so, um, yeah, if you can do this amicably, I mean, that's wonderful. And sometimes that's the case and sometimes it's not. And I see so many notes. I saw one last night actually from someone who posted in a group about how she just rushed through her divorce and didn't take anything because she just wanted to be done. And that's like the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You know, you think, think the long, think the long term, think, think strategically. And some people, that's not their nature or they're just not in a position because of everything going on to think that way. But really take a step back and say, you know, if I decide on this today, how is this going to impact me and my kids in the future? And that's really what it comes down to. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So Marianne, you are generously offering a discount to our listeners for your um, brand new first ever course that you were just sort of talking about. Can you um, give them a little, uh, a little Give us a little plug for your for your course because it sounds great. Sure. Yeah. So I wanted to share this information to a wider audience. Most of my work has been one-on-one, but I really want to get out there and share this information with people who are going through this. And I know people are struggling all the time. And so I create a very affordable um, you know, mini course and I'll, I'll, I'll create some more products in the future to go more in depth. So I definitely look forward to your people's input and feedback as to what they would like to see. But for now, I kind of touched um, on a course that touches on those main areas that I just talked about, as well as embracing your, your future. So it kind of takes it from planning the divorce, being hit with the divorce, all the way through waiting to think about for you and your kids to get a good result um, going forward. The course is tailored for moms dealing with divorce who have special needs kids. They can go to my um, website on my resource page. I have a link for that. And I'll offer my, my discount, even though it's really cheap uh, launch price right now. But on top of that, I'll do a, um, a 25% off for your listeners with code uh, SFT for special family transitions. So I'm happy to offer that and get people started if they want to work with me further, I'm happy to help out. If not, hopefully this helps you get, get started in your process. Great. And so just to just so everyone knows that Marianne's website is specialfamilytransitions.com and go to the resources section and then use the code SFT for special family transitions. And she's offering a 25% discount for y'all. So really, really sweet, really um, generous. And I'm so glad you've come up with this course and this content. It's a really, really important and necessary um, conversation for us to be having. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And so people can find you at specialfamilytransitions.com and on social. So all my socials under special special family transitions. I have a Facebook page. I have also a private group that I can link you to. I have Instagram. Great. I've got a YouTube channel that has some videos as well. So yeah, I got plenty of information out there to share. And you know, please reach out if you have any specific questions. Happy to help out. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. So such a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.